it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello and welcome to the Line of Scrimmage podcast presented by Tomahawk Nation. Over the next 15 or so minutes, we're going to be chatting it up with a member of the media from FSU's next opponent. My name is Tim Allenball, and after just absolutely embarrassing their in-state rival Hurricanes, FSU is going to head north to the Dome to take on Syracuse. And to help fans prepare for this matchup, we're going to spend the next few minutes breaking down the orange with Andy Pregler with one of my uh, favorite unique sites on SB Nation. Uh, It used to be Troy Nunez is a magician, right? So the name is still technically Troy. Troy Nunes is an absolute magician, which is a reference to when uh, Nunes was a quarterback at Syracuse and <laughs> threw a ridiculous pass against Auburn and in a week in an upset win. The announcer proclaims it that. Uh, but Nunes magician is a much easier uh, <laughs> URL to remember. It's much easier from a branding perspective than to have the whole name. Um, but that's why if you're if you're interested and you want to come and check out noonsmagician.com, uh, check out some of our coverage, you'll see a lot of T-N-I-A-A-M, which is Troy News is an Absolute Magician abbreviated. Um, so we we rarely use the full name anymore uh, just because it's a bit of a mouthful and inevitably asks, well, who's Troy Nunes? Well, OK, let's talk <laughs> about the history of really mediocre Syracuse quarterbacks. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's good stuff. I, I have Googled him a couple times so every few years when I forget just exactly who he is and read about him. So uh, anyways, Andy, let's jump right into it. Uh, Syracuse comes into the primetime matchup with an identical record to Florida State. At six and three, uh, but they've stumbled as of late. But uh, in many ways, I feel like Syracuse and Florida State have taken similar paths. Both of them had fast starts to the season, jumping out uh, to undefeated records. Uh, Florida State fell uh, into its toughest stretch right when the injury bug hit. 
And it feels like the orange are in the same situation. So let's just start it off by talking about who is hurt for Syracuse. And do you expect any of them back for uh, Friday or Saturday's game? Uh, if we were going to talk about the Syracuse injury report, we're going to need a lot more than 15 minutes. Uh, this team is losing people left and right. Uh, so a month ago, Syracuse had lost five uh, players to season ending injuries. And Dino Babers said, well, we really need to nip this uh, trend in the butt. They have continued to lose more players for the season since then. At this point, the orange are the walking wounded. Um, the biggest ones to know about with season ending injuries, Chris Elmore, who was basically our Swiss army knife fullback uh, went down in the first game of the year. There you're looking at uh, Terry Lockett, uh, defensive lineman. He's out for the year. He was probably the best uh, defensive lineman that Syracuse had coming into this year. Uh, no disrespect to Caleb Okachukwu. Uh, and then his backup, uh, uh, Dennis uh, Jacques Jr., went down for the season as well. Uh, there's a couple other depth pieces that are out for the year. So in, in general... This roster is really deep uh, into the depth chart at this point in time. It's slightly nerve wracking to try to imagine Syracuse winning any game from here on out unless they get very lucky with the injury bug. Um, but the biggest one that happened most recently uh, is Garrett Williams. He is a projected NFL cornerback. He went out for the uh, season in the last or two games ago. It's just it's just been really rough. And so Garrett Schrader is now added to that list. He's not out for the season, but Dino Babers has been very coy about his injury status. Will he return? I would bet no, only because uh, we Carson Del Rio Wilson, the backup quarterback, accidentally let it slip during a media availability that he was still practicing with the ones as of Tuesday. So I would assume that even if Schrader plays, it's going to be in very spot packages. Um, because if after Tuesday's walkthrough, there's still uh, Carson Del Rio Wilson is still the one quarterback. Uh, I can't imagine that they're going to try to rush Schrader back uh, at that point in time. I think what well, Dino described it as an alley or something ridiculous uh, this past week. Yeah, I'm not going to try to play medical doctor here, basic, but in the first half of uh, the Notre Dame game, Schrader just did not look comfortable running. He was missing easy throws that we've seen him make all season long. So it's definitely there's definitely something physically messing with him to the point that he traveled with the team to pit but did not dress. Right. That is, I think that's going to probably be the big storyline heading into uh, Saturday night, definitely with Schrader. Um, you know, coming into the 2020 season, actually, hold on, let me take a step back there. Um, on the offensive side of the ball, Garrett Strader and the Syracuse offense in, in 2021, you know, they had glimmers, I think, at times. I, I know Strader had some really impressive runs against Florida State, and you could see that the offense was kind of finding its footing, but really in the 2020 season is when they came out firing. And right now they're led by first-year offensive coordinator Robert Anai. Uh, and I, I know I've read and heard some good stuff. I know um, Kevin Little on on Knowles 24-7 said some good stuff about him. But what are the changes or influences on the offense that most stand out to you uh, from a nice influence? So last year, Syracuse was basically trying to run their best impression of an 11 personnel setup where they would trot out the same 11 bodies. They'd run very simple plays and just try to um, win via pace, and that did not work very well. So after firing offensive coordinator Sterling Gilbert, we saw Syracuse basically 
take the pace all the way down and run a traditional power running attack behind Sean Tucker, who's a very excellent running back and was able to get 100-yard games pretty consistently. What we've seen this year is that Anai has brought in a much more modernized approach to offense using motions to try to create mismatches that allow for Garrett Schrader to make very easy throws uh, and force the defense to stop selling out for uh, the running game, both stopping Schrader and stopping Tucker. Like last year, there was the game against Boston College where BC had, and I kid you not, uh, two different spying linebackers just watching Schrader and Tucker and it really nullified the entire offense. This year's offense is far more complex. Uh, the issue has been as of late, all the injuries are really starting to impact a timing and emotion-based offense where guys are not used to the system. You're starting to see a lot of those struggles come from just the personnel of a first year, off, like a new offensive coordinator coming in with an entirely revamped system coming into a group of guys that have never run something this complicated before. So I think that's where you're seeing a lot of the self-inflicted wounds by Syracuse, um, but also other teams now have a pretty good swatch of the NI playbook to base off of from Virginia last year, Syracuse this year, and Syracuse needs to continue to get more creative, which is difficult to do when you're playing with twos along the offensive line and the, and the wide receiver group. <laughs> that, uh, that sounds all too familiar to past Florida State teams it really does <laughs> um so i mean coming into this year you kind of referenced it this was really sean tucker's offense um considered by many to be the top running back in the acc uh future nfl draft type guy and, and the great thing about tucker is that he has his running diary on twitter which is awesome <laughs> to read after each game uh and in his words the last few games he has been not pleased what's really caused the decline of the running game? Is it the offensive line injuries? Is it just that they've fallen behind in score or is there just been a different, I guess, uh, I, I guess game plan going into each, uh, each new week? Yeah. So I think that there's, it's a twofold approach. Um, the injuries are definitely a big piece of this. So last year, uh, Sean Tucker had a stretch where he was not getting a hundred yard games that coincided with an injury to Chris Elmore and the four games that he did not play for the orange because Elmore was such a huge piece in becoming a lead blocker out of the backfield for Tucker. And Tucker is the kind of guy who likes to make one cut gain ahead of steam. And then he's almost impossible to bring down once he gets going. The problem is that this year we've seen in the last few games, he's been unable to get going in any type of traditional running play and we've seen that teams have really caught on to how Syracuse likes to use him out of the backfield in the passing attack. And they're, they have done a great job of kind of making sure that there's no mismatches on wheel routes or on check down routes and really limiting Tucker's effectiveness in those in the passing game. So it becomes now a, a snowball effect where, okay, the offense is not doing as well. So they're not scoring as many points. So now Syracuse is trailing and they basically have to flip the game script and they don't get to play this dominant ball possession game that they were doing early in the year and giving Tucker plenty of touches per drives in the rushing attack. Now they have to basically chase the game from a passing attack scenario. They have to look to go more vertical. And obviously Tucker is not that type of player. Um, we joke about it all the time on our new edition podcast, but Sean Tucker's pass blocking ability is almost non-existent. So you basically have to have him be running a route somewhere in the passing attack. 
Um, but he's the best option. He gets the best coverage. Uh, teams have really done a great job of nullifying him. And the game plan as a result has really moved away from him as an option. So it's a lot of different, it's a lot of different effects. And I think that what Syracuse really does need to do to re-engage him is just make a commitment to running the ball, getting these offensive linemen in a more running, uh, running the ball mentality. Um, their head uh, offensive line coach, Mike Schmidt comes from a power running background. This has always been what the offensive line was supposed to do. Um, and even though there are injuries at this point in time, a lot of the guys who have been there on the offensive line have been in the Syracuse system for enough years that at this point, it's just down to execution uh, up front. And this is no longer, I think you can try to scheme Tucker back into the games, but at this point, the offensive line just has to play better. Uh, I started off the podcast by saying that there's a lot of similarities between and, and between the teams and uh, <laughs> the offensive line is always a hot subject for Florida State. And, and I think really talking to all the different bloggers, it, it is for every team, but uh, you, you especially see it when, when the injuries happen. So um, yeah. we'll see what happens coming uh, this Saturday with the offensive line there, but let's switch to receivers. Uh, Aronde Gadsden is the name that we all know you can't go into a Syracuse game on TV without hearing the announcers just kind of gush over him, uh, the leader of the receiving group. Do you expect to get a big game from him on Saturday or, uh, you know, with the quarterback uh, injury, is his game really hampered? And, And who are some other names to know out there in the receivers? With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, the issue for Syracuse is that it really is Gatson and nobody else. Um, the Syracuse receiving group has been hit really hard with young players not getting playing time early, hitting the transfer portal, and Syracuse now basically having a very young receiving group and a couple of veterans who were never good enough to be first options uh, who are now basically filling in those depth roles. So uh, the Gatson is fantastic because he is just a size mismatch. And so you saw it against teams uh, like uh, Purdue and NC State where they didn't necessarily have that size in the secondary, Gatson could just eat. When you play against a Clemson, a Notre Dame, a Pitt where they have a lot more NFL-sized defenders in the secondary, Gatson's effectiveness gets taken away because he's still at his core, a really young receiver. Um, so it's not like he, he, when he doesn't have that physical mismatch, um, he can be brought back to earth a lot. Now, Florida state, uh, I think that there is an opportunity for Gatson to potentially be unlocked, but again, a lot of that's going to come down to the quarterback uh, play. Carson Del Rio Wilson has had wanted to push the ball down the field more, uh, but his accuracy has left, 
uh, a lot to be desired in the last couple of games that we've seen him play. Uh, so if you're looking for one other player in the receiving game to potentially keep an eye on, somebody that we have talked about a lot is Devon Cooper. Uh, he is a seventh year senior wow. who transferred into the program. <laughs> and so he has, he's been playing the slot role. And what he does really well is, uh, and what keeps him on the field is that he's great to put in motion and then have a, as a lead blocker in the run game that allows him to be on the field more. And in the receiving game, he's your traditional slot wide receiver. So we would like to see, even if Carson Del Rio Wilson is trying to push the ball downfield more, uh, I'd really like to see him try to look at some more checkdowns. And somebody like Cooper has shown in the past when Schrader was quarterback that if you get him the ball in space, he can be really shifty and turn a three yard pass into an eight, nine, 10 yard gain just with his elusiveness. Now, whether or not uh, the quarterback who plays is looking his way, whether or not Syracuse is able to get him in motion consistently via the running game in that game script, we'll, we'll have to see. I do think, to your point, I think Gadsden has an opportunity to have a good game against Florida State. The uh, the cornerbacks aren't aren't huge guys, and uh, they have struggled some this year with injuries as well, and just uh, a lot of like second year sophomore slumps. So it'll be interesting. Uh, I, I, to your point, I think it's really going to depend on uh, on on Del Rio Wilson's accuracy. Um, on defense, I typically like to start with the defensive line and kind of work my way back, but I really want to go in reverse with Syracuse. Um, I think back to the first game beatdown of Louisville that Syracuse had, um, and and talking to a couple other guys and and watching some of the games, Syracuse was basically able to put their corners on an Island with, with Louisville's receivers and they were able to shut them down. And as a result, they could just key in on, on Malik Cunningham and and really stifle the, the Louisville offense. Uh, you know, now that that uh, now that Garrett Wilson is out, um, is this secondary still a unit of strength, or, or has the injuries now made it a weakness? I think that ultimately, losing Garrett Williams weakens the secondary. You're not going, you can't lose an NFL quality cornerback who was able to basically be put on the number one receiving target, shut him down for the entire game or most of the game and not worry about it, the defense is going to struggle uh, once that's gone. Now, what's happened with Syracuse's defense over the last few weeks since that since that game is that the defensive line and the linebacking core have had enough injuries that they, uh, against Malik Cunningham, what uh, defensive coordinator Tony White has done really well is neutralize scrambling quarterbacks and neutralize any quarterback who likes to move around in the pocket by really creating pressure uh, that forces the quarterback to just sit back and have to throw the ball. And then when you put corner, and then when you're able to have the corners keep everybody on an island, you're asking them to make throws that they're not always comfortable with. And that really hasn't happened the last few weeks. We've seen quarterbacks pretty much be able to do whatever they want because that pressure is not coming. Now, that does not mean now, do I think that the defense is good or strength of Syracuse? No, I don't necessarily think it's a weakness either. I think it's just like a very league average defense. That, if it's going to have a good game, is going to first turnovers. Uh, Jahad Carter is somebody that we had kind of written off uh, at the beginning of the season. He's a little bit undersized. He didn't really have a place because he couldn't be a true physical, you know, outside cornerback. As a safety, he wasn't really physical enough to be the rover position where Syracuse likes to have a big body 
Um, so if you look at Justin Barron, he let, he's basically playing in the box on a lot of plays and grabbing any kind of wheel routes or any tight ends uh, that offenses might have. But Carter has really turned himself into a true free roving safety who is able to ball hawk any pass that's like over 20 yards. And so we've seen him have interceptions in the last few games. He has really become kind of that over the top protection for Syracuse. And I think that if Syracuse's defense is going to continue to get back into this um, area of like they held Pitt to, you know, basically 13 points for the, for the entirety of that game. Uh, if we're going to see Syracuse's defense really shut teams down again, it's going to be cut be because teams cannot go over the top of Syracuse and they have to grind out the entire length of the field in order to score. Moving over to the linebackers. Uh, I, I, I was looking at the stats and I I'm a little familiar with, with, with Jones from just recruiting. Cause I think Florida state mm-hmm. kind of almost flirted with him, but decided to walk away, which I wish they hadn't had, um, you know, he's having a great season. Uh, being a leader out there, impressive numbers. Marlo Wax looks like he's doing really well. Um, what does this unit do well? You mentioned that with the injuries that the defensive line has struggled. Have we seen similar struggles with with the linebackers, or are they a group that's a strength or you know can really change the game for Syracuse? They are definitively the the strength of the Syracuse defense at the moment, and it's because of Jones and it's because of Wax, who are both guys that are so good at uh, finding any sort of hole that the offensive line either op- allows based off of the specific pressure or the specific specific protection uh, or that is created by the defensive front and then just attacking that hole. Like you will see anytime that Mikel Jones or Marlo Wax gets a sack, they are fired out of a cannon. They are running straight line and they are getting to the quarterback a- in a way that's really exciting to watch as a fan. Um, where the injuries have really hurt Syracuse is just in linebacker depth. Um, so again, this is a situation where when you're looking at who is behind Mikel Jones and Marlo Wax, you're looking at a redshirt freshman in Leon Lowry or Austin Rune. And the other, the third linebacking group has been a rotation of redshirt freshmen, whether it be uh, Derek McDonald or Anwar Sparrow, both who have also gone down with injuries at different points throughout this season. So it really does become a situation where Jones and Wax can cause a lot of damage. But once you nullify those two guys, you're dealing with a really young group that has shown mistakes both in coverage, in pursuit of running plays, especially on stretch or power plays where you're not going right up the middle in between the A-gaps. Um, they, they're they just, you know, they're redshirt freshmen who are getting their first taste of ACC action, and it's, it's showing. Um, so it's a group that I think long-term will be fine. But this year, there's just some growing pains when those two guys get nullified or are taken out of the game with injuries. So hopefully they stay healthy for Syracuse's sake. But uh, I, I think, you know, when I was looking over it, you know, Michael Jones really stands out. Is uh, yeah. He kind of reminds me of a little bit of a, not to like offend you, but an NC State linebacker. How those yeah. guys just <laughs> fly all over the field and are just monsters. So um, let me go over to the defensive line for Syracuse. Uh, I, I think this is an area that if – not because of injuries. I think that this could give FSU problems because they're very fast uh, and they really excel at, at finding the gaps in uh, which Florida state has kind of struggled with a little bit of those undersized quick lines. So, um, but they've also been susceptible to the running game as of late. So uh, what does this defensive line have to do on Saturday to be successful? And who do you think is going to have the biggest impact for them? Uh, I think 
the first thing is that they all need to stay healthy because that is a group that just really cannot afford to lose any more bodies. Um, but Caleb Okachukwu is right now a healthy uh, defensive lineman, and he is somebody who, when given a mismatch, can really take advantage. He's 6'4", 268. You look at him, and he really kind of presents as like one of what the NFL is doing with these like tweener guys, where he's too big to be a linebacker, but he's too small to be you know a hand-in-the-dirt defensive lineman. But uh, I really like his game. I think that he can have uh, some uh, really good impact just coming off the edges uh, and really attacking the tackles uh, on whichever side he gets lined up. The other guy to watch out for, uh, somebody who's really impressed me this year is Kevin Darton. Uh, He's a redshirt sophomore. He's out of um, uh, Western Massachusetts. You know, great football recruiting hotbed (laughs) there of Western Massachusetts. Um, But Darton is somebody who was not expected to see a lot of time on the defensive line this year but his play has warranted the extended look and the starts Um, in the first game against Louisville. He was just blowing up the middle of Louisville's offensive line and really forcing Malik Cunningham to not have space to step up in the pocket. And I am hopeful that he can have one of those games against a a weaker Florida State offensive line than we've seen in, in some other years. Like I know Florida State's offensive line has been a constant source of uh, anguish for fans over the last few years. And Darton is somebody that if he's feeling it, if he's confident, if he's doing the right things, he can be really disruptive in the middle. The issue again, he's young and inexperienced and we have seen bigger and smarter offensive lines really nullify him. And he tends to want to go one-on-one instead of taking on two guys. And if he's, you know, the way that the three, three, five is set up, if Darton is not taking on two guys or occupying two guys at one time, uh, that defensive line really loses its efficiency. A little bit of an improved offensive line for Florida State this year, but still some struggles with several injuries. I, I'm hoping we don't see the Syracuse horror show from a couple of years back, where like Florida State defensive or offensive tackles were just like falling over. It was <laughs> uh, it was it was wild. But uh, let's move to uh, your prediction. You don't have to give me a score or even like a win-loss, but just kind of your general feelings, or if you want to say a score uh, of how you see Saturday night shaking out. Yeah, I think this is going to be a game that will be decided in the first quarter. Um, And I really kind of hate saying that about an 8 p.m. start. I'm not saying that just because I want to go to bed and not stay up until 10 o'clock covering the game. Um, But the, the issue with Syracuse so far has been that the offensive rhythm has just not been there. And they've really kind of there. They are uh, there's a Twitter account uh, stats of war uh, run by Parker. And he just put out a graph earlier this week that was basically self-inflicted wounds in the receiving game and which teams are the, are basically causing their own mistakes. Syracuse is one of the worst teams aligned with like Nebraska. And whenever you, whenever you're in the same category as Nebraska, <laughs> you know, that something has gone terribly wrong. Uh, so to me, this is an area where Syracuse needs to start fast because they're at home. The Carrier Dome this year has been a definitive home field advantage when Syracuse has started hot. It's one of the loudest stadiums that you will ever experience now that they've put the hard roof on. Um, somebody did not realize that a soft roof, roof absorbs sound and a hard roof amplifies and echoes sound. So it can get incredibly loud in there. The issue is that for a lot of fans, the last few weeks, there hasn't been really a whole lot to cheer about early in games, and the crowd has really not become an advantage. So this is a game where Syracuse can start hot. They can take control of the ball early in the first quarter. They can get a couple of points on the board. 
I think that this becomes a, a close game that plays into Syracuse strengths. Now, if we see the same offensive struggles where uh, Carson Del Rio Wilson is missing guys or worse, turning the ball over Florida state is able to get some traction going. They're able to attack the middle of that Syracuse defense and they're able to move the ball with little to no resistance. I think the crowd gets taken out of the game. I think Syracuse continues to spiral mentally and you see this team uh, really unable to get back into the game. They've not chased games very well under Babers. Um, and so what I think you see happen is that Florida State wins in that situation. So uh, my gut is that if Schrader plays, Syracuse wins. If Schrader sits, Syracuse loses. I don't want to be that granular, but like the offense just has looked so poor under Carson Del Rio Wilson um, that unless he's taken a really big step this week in practice, uh, that that's where I'm sta- that's where I'm standing. Well, I, I greatly appreciate it. I kind of felt the same way. I think Florida State might win either way, but I think it's a much closer game with Schrader. Definitely, to your point, not to sound too granular, but it really is. Uh, Syracuse is a different team when he's quarterback, uh, which you know most teams are when their starters out. Um, exactly. All right, before I let you go, let's have a little fun. We're going to do kind of a choose-your-own-adventure <laughs> question. I'm going to give you three categories. You tell me which category you want, and we'll go from there. So uh, did a little snooping on you. So one of the categories is is slightly uh, slanted towards your Twitter bio, so we'll see what happens here. But uh, category one is one of the ones I like to always bring up, professional wrestling. Okay. Uh, category two is just TV streaming, and category three is comic book movies. Oh, I mean, I am the reason that we're doing this when we're doing this is because I have tickets for Wakanda forever in a few hours. So <laughs> let's go. let's go number three. <laughs> All right. Uh, tell me your uh, your final four casting or not final oh. four, fantastic four. I don't know why I said final yeah, four. Yeah, there, no, but no, yeah, no. I, I, I understood exactly what you were going for. I mean, we can also talk about Syracuse basketball here forever. Uh, yeah. No, I um, I think that Penn Badgley being Mr. Fantastic is actually one of the more interesting casting options that I've heard, because in my view, Mr. Fantastic is actually a villain. He is never, he, he always does the wrong thing and he always makes things worse for everybody else. And I feel like Penn Badgley is just a very punchable face. And that's what you kind of need for Reed Richards. Um, I really like the idea of Jason Siegel as the thing that has been, that was like thrown out there as kind of a, a weird thing, but I'm a big, how I met your mother fan. And uh, forgetting Sarah Marshall is the one rom-com that I will willingly watch uh, any any time. So I'm a big fan of that. Um, as it comes to the other two, as it comes to the Storms uh, siblings, I don't have any super strong feelings on it. Uh, my, I want whatever they do, though. There will be multiversal implications because that's where Marvel's going. I really want to see Chris Evans and Michael B. Jordan get the opportunity to just like put on the Fantastic Four spandex just to call out like listen we understand that uh this this role has been uh a great first step for people to go on and do better things uh so and they're both already in the mcu uh on the mcu payroll so just just bring them in for some fun it's uh it's crazy that if it wasn't for captain america i think chris evans would be perfect to refill the role of johnny storm again he, he he was he was like one of the highlights of the uh that first original run, you know, uh, him, him and the commish. <laughs> yeah. I liked, uh, I still have a little bit of nostalgia for those very bad movies. <laughs> <laughs> do you, uh, do you have a Dr. Doom as well? I don't have a Dr. Doom that I 
like to see. But what I really hope that they lean into is Doctor Doom being just a pure villain. Um, I, I'm a, a big comic book fan. And so I really enjoyed when Doctor Doom was the Iron Man mantle. And I understand why there have been attempts to humanize him as of late in comics and make him a slightly more palatable anti-hero kind of character. Um, but I think that Dr. Doom should just be pure evil. And there's, there's a lot of older castings that I could see as Dr. Doom. Like if you really wanted to go uh, like Clancy Brown is somebody that like, if you're doing like a future old, old Dr. Doom, I loved his voice when he was voice acting as Lex Luthor. I think he would be a really interesting Dr. Doom choice if you went older casting, but it sounds like they want to kind of go younger and there's not really anybody on my radar who embodies villainy uh, to the level that I'd be like, yes, he has to be Dr. Doom. <laughs> <laughs> You've really given a lot more thought about this than I have. Uh, you know, I'm still, I'm still kind of on the John Krasinski bandwagon by and I understand why they're going to probably move away from that. So uh, he's oh, filming well. Jack Ryan stuff left and right, according to I my know. YouTube ad. So <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, Andy, I really appreciate it. Uh, take a minute, pimp yourself out to everybody where they can find you. Yeah, uh, feel free to follow me on Twitter at AC Pregler for as long as we still have Twitter. Uh, and then as as always, uh, please check out noonsmagician.com. It is where we post pretty much everything around Syracuse sports. And if you're interested in hanging out, we have game threads. So feel free to stop, stop by during the FSU game and uh, check out Syracuse's perspective of the game. Perfect. Andy, I really appreciate it, man. Thanks so much for jumping on. Uh, best of luck to Syracuse outside of Saturday. I hope they have a great, successful season. Uh, and really appreciate you being here to uh, guide us through the mystery that always is the Syracuse football team. I am glad to be of service and best of luck to FSU as well outside of Saturday night. <laughs> <laughs> All right. For Andy Pregler, I'm Tim Allenball. This has been Tomahawk Nation's Line of Scrimmage podcast. We'll catch you next week.